Welcome, everybody. I'm Richard Krauss. Now, we're doing something just a little bit different this week. Instead of convening the regular pop culture panel like we always do to talk about the color of Beyonce's hair this week or what Justin Bieber has been up to, I have a very special guest in studio. But what a guest. Jonathan Goldsmith is an actor an entrepreneur. When he first moved to Los Angeles, he worked as a garbage truck driver. I want to talk about that. He acted in Westerns alongside John Wayne, even though he couldn't even ride a horse. His big break in acting was in the Dos Equis beer commercials. He popularized the saying, stay thirsty, my friends. Jonathan Goldsmith, nice to see you. Thank you, Richard. Nice to be here. You are the actor who played the most interesting man in the world, and you're now the spokesman for Astral Tequila. And we'll talk about all of that uh, in just a little while. I'm going to go back, though. Um, in the ads, you played the, the most interesting man in the world. Your story, I think, is probably as interesting as anything uh, <laughs> that would have been in those ads. You were born in the Bronx, and you always wanted to be an actor, from what I understand. Um, what was it? that made you want to be an actor? Did you come from a, a showbiz background at all? Well, actually, that's not exactly true. I didn't always want to be an actor. I wanted to be an OBGYN or a white hunter. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I got into acting because of a psychiatrist, as a matter of fact. <laughs> I uh, dropped out of NYU in my junior year, and my father was concerned because uh, it was a rather fatuous existence, partying and drinking and right. no direction. So he said, you got to see somebody for help. <laughs> so I went to see this very famous uh, psychiatrist who was very hard to see, but my father knew his nurse. So I went to see the great Frederick Wortham. He's a, it was a just a wonderful man that really cared about youth. He carried on a war with the comic book industry, saying that it's very detrimental I remember to this. young children. Yeah. He was a famous man. So I, I sat with him, and he said, I want you to come back next week. He says, I don't know if I can take you as a permanent patient, but you come back. I'll, you'll meet somebody that can change your life. Came back the next week, and there was this very effete, strange-looking fellow, about 6'6", pencil-thin, beret, sunglasses, <laughs> and a long filter cigarette. And I said to myself, oh, boy, I'm in trouble. This man's going to change my life. He talked to me for a few minutes. He went out. The doctor came in another door, and he said, I'm going to take you as a patient. He says, but there's one prerequisite. You have to go to the living theater and study acting. I had never thought about being an actor. <laughs> So I went down to 14th and 6th, and there was this strange-looking building with colored-out windows. Went in, and I did the first improvisation I ever did in my life. I didn't even know what it was. It was explained to me. Bunch of bohemian-looking folks sitting around, some pretty girls. It was the first time in my life I got applause. I said, this is for me. <laughs> and that's when I said, I, I got to get into this. And what do you think it was that the psychiatrist saw in you to point you in that direction? Well, maybe a, a way of I could get in touch with my inner emotions. Mm -hmm. I was sensitive. I was vulnerable. I was confused. I was interesting mm -hmm. and hard to, to pin a, uh, a label on. And I thought, maybe that's it. I don't know. What did your father, who I would imagine didn't expect 
that little twist twist and turn of events. No, what did he think of that? He certainly didn't, but he was <laughs> delighted that I was going to be in treatment with the great man. Right, right. Yeah. And you studied uh, at the Neighborhood Playhouse in Midtown as well. That's correct. And and what what were you learning at this point? You were you had never considered it as a career. What what was happening for you at that time? Well, I I got exposed to. Uh, the theater and and to acting in a way that I could express myself and tap into things that were inside of me, things I didn't even know about, mm-hmm. and particularly working with a, a great teacher, David Pressman, who was uh, a disciple, really, of Sandy Meisner and the, the method, uh, being able to recreate uh, situations and live through them by being very specific, remembering the color of the day and the time uh, time and light and sensations and sound. And it was all very, very thrilling because I lived much of my life in fantasy. I was a lonely kid. My parents were divorced. So this was just kind of a natural for me. And I loved it. And also I, I got to dance <laughs> and, and fence wow. and fight scenes. Yeah, yeah. So it was, a, it was a lot of fun for me. And Method was just really beginning to take off. This would have been like 1950-something, right? 56, yeah, 7, something like that? Exactly. And it was about 10 years after Brando really yeah. made it popular at the Actors Studio, yeah. this uh, method acting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And is it still your thing? Do you still use method acting? Oh, always. Yeah? Uh, absolutely. I think most actors do, even if they don't do it consciously. Right. You know, you to recreate and bring up something that's inside of you. And if you can't, if it's not inside, you can recreate it. Right. You know, so I was always uh, recreating and acting out stuff. And so it, it was a natural fit for me. And I, I loved the world of the theater. What can you tell me about New York in those days? And we'll get to Austral tequila and sure. everything. that. But what can you tell me about New York in those days? I love going to New York. I uh. go a few times a year. I, two or three years ago, I should know, two and a half years ago, I was married in New York at Sardi's restaurant because oh we wanted to have, you know, the, the New York kind of Broadway experience. Yeah. What was it like back then? Because it seems like it must have been impossibly exciting. It, it was very exciting. In fact, I was in a play called Night of the Iguana, Tennessee mm-hmm. Williams, and I got very friendly with Tennessee himself. And uh, I was I was 21 or 22 years old, and to go out afterwards, we didn't go to Sardi's. Yeah. That was a little above my pay grade. <laughs> but we went to a bar around the corner called Downey's, and to sit and drink with these fellows uh, and get to know them, it was very exciting. I my first year as an actor, I was very lucky. I worked for Ilya Kazan, William Inge, wow, Arthur Miller, and Tennessee Williams. My first year. And, and those, they would have been there. They would have been in the rehearsal process. They would have been around. You're working with them. You're not just reading their words. No, no. Yeah. I actually did some improvisations with Ilya Kazan for America, America. Wow. Yeah, it was really an exciting time. I mean, these were the, the pinnacles of our theater scene. Yeah. You know, so it was very, it was very wonderful. And, uh, and there was a different feeling. There was a closeness in the theatrical community in New York. After all, you're on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Wow, you know? I've um, always thought that being on Broadway and being a star on Broadway is different than any other kind of stardom. 
Well, I think it is. I would never be able to tell you because I never was a star. <laughs> but I was on Broadway. I had a very interesting exchange with Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, you were <laughs> not. You did not get along. No, it was. We didn't. It was a, a play called A Cook for Mr. General, and we were going into uh, Broadway and trying out at the Forestall Theater in Philadelphia. And dust, it was about an island for misfits in the service. They stuck us all away someplace. Right. One guy thought he was Jesus. Another one walked around making believe he was a chicken. I know this play. It. Yeah, I know so, of this play. So I was perfect for it. And uh, <laughs> Anyway, in the Army, you know, they line you up according to size. So Dustin and I were not only the two youngest but the two smallest. <laughs> and we were side by side. Each of us had one line. And uh, so we were constantly vying for stage business, and we just irritated each other. We were competitive. Mm -hmm. In fact, I celebrated my 21st birthday. A young man by the name of Chubby Checker started something called The Twist, yeah. some gangster underground place. And I was invited because <laughs> I was outgoing. Dustin was very serious, right. and he, he wasn't invited. So we just irritated each other. And uh, so we're sitting in the Harvey House Cafe, coffee shop having lunch and annoying the hell out of each other <laughs> and so I suddenly had enough and I jumped up and I said Dustin I said the reason you don't like me is because I'm gonna make it and you're not and I left him with the check <laughs> 35 years later I'm in Beverly Hills it's early in the morning there's no traffic I see I'm crossing the street and there's Dustin Hoffman on the other side of the street I walk, and he sees me with a smile on his face. I guess I did. So as we passed en passant yeah. in the middle of the street, I said, hi, Dusty. He said, hey, Lip. That was my nickname. And I said, nice to see you. He says, yeah, you too. And that was it. We kept moving. That's funny. No hard feelings, maybe. No. Yeah. Just admiration on my part. I That's think he's, right. I think he's marvelous. And your nickname was Lip because well, you had... Uh, that was my name. I yeah. took my stepfather's name when my mother remarried. And his name was Lippy, mm -hmm. so that's the name I used until 1975. And you changed it back to your birth father's name, that's, Goldsmith, that's as right. a tribute. Well, yes, that's that's right. I he was watching me being shot and hung and machine gunned and poisoned <laughs> on so many shows, and why shouldn't he claim sireship? So I took my rightful name back. I've often wondered. I just saw. Uh, the Iceman Cometh on Broadway. Oh, what a play. Four hours long. Yeah. And there are parts of this play, like characters in this play, that don't come in until three and a half hours in. And mm -hmm. I've often wondered, maybe you can tell me, you said you just had one line each in this. Yeah. What do you do for three and a half hours? Well, <laughs> what, what, what I did in that play, if you'll remember, you're old enough, I guess, remember Ethel and Albert? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, well, that was Alan Bunce. Alan... I think it was Alan Bunce. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so what we would do would be to play chess. <laughs> and I got good, but I could seldom beat him. It, it's it's kind of tiring if you yeah. have to hang around for that. Well, see, that's what I always wondered. And, and I've seen it a number of times in plays. And I often think... You know, if the play starts at 8, you're not on till 10.30. Do you show up at 9.30? Probably not. You're no. there at 8, yeah, you like got, everybody you, else. Yeah. Sure, you got to be there because they have to prep and understudy if yeah, you're yeah. not. 
Uh, I'm speaking with Jonathan Goldsmith. There's a book called Stay Interesting. Yeah. I don't always tell stories about my life, but when I do, they're true and amazing. We're going to get to a lot of those stories uh, today. We're also going to talk about Astral Tequila. Your new, uh, the, the series of commercials that you're doing for them are brilliant. Thank I you. I have not yet tasted the tequila, but tomorrow night... We're going to have some. I'm looking forward to that. But we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the Dos Equis commercials. Uh, there's so much to talk about here. I can't wait to get to all the stories. Stay with us. There'll be lots more with Jonathan Goldsmith when we come back. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Richard Krause in studio. I am thrilled to have this guy in studio. Jonathan Goldsmith is here. He is the most interesting man in the world. <laughs> I guess was. I mean, well, you still no. are. Well, But, no. you know. Actually, uh, my time has passed. Your time has passed we, on that, but we'll get to that. We'll uh, get to that. I, I, you made such an impression with those Dos Eki commercials. Yeah. Uh, I remember it just what what a what a, um, a, a you were a Facebook meme. You were everywhere. I loved it. I loved it. And we're going to talk about that right now. We've got you to the point where you're fighting with Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, you're studying acting. <laughs> you're a New York actor, uh, and then around 1966, you moved to California. Right, thinking you know. Oh, they're waiting for me. They're waiting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they can't wait till I get there. <laughs> and I think, you know, we talked about what New York was like in the in the late 50s. I think that being in California, being in Los Angeles in 1966 must have been remarkable. Well, it was, it was, except, of course, from my perspective, as the driver of a garbage truck, <laughs> it wasn't the most exciting life. But, uh, you know, clubs like the Whiskey A Go Go yeah. were, were just coming in, and it was a very vibrant scene, and the film industry was thriving. Uh, of course, I had very little to do with it. <laughs> I could watch it from afar. I remember one day, uh, driving past the Beverly Wilshire Hotel on Wilshire Boulevard, and I saw all these beautiful girls, strapless dresses and sandals and tan, gorgeous, and it's 8.30 in the morning. Hmm. And then I'd be driving back at 4.30 or 5 o'clock at night covered with a demi-glace of rat manure <laughs> from the dump, and I'd see these same girls or, or yeah. something, and I said, I've got to find out what this is all about, so I cleaned up in the back of the truck, and I went in, and I found out Warren Beatty. He lived there. He lived <laughs> in the penthouse. So I had a great MO. I would clean myself up, make myself presentable, walk up to one of the lovelies and say, you're waiting for Warren. And she said, yes. And he said, I said, well, he sent me down to buy you a drink. He's held up on a conference call. It'll be a while. But, of course, I couldn't take him in the Beverly Wills, right. uh, Wilshire. It was expensive, so it was a Chinese place up the block. And I'd take him in for a happy hour. But I had a wonderful, wonderful social life. That's hilarious. Fifty years passed, and my son, David, is working on a, a show that Warren directed and was in about Howard Hughes. Yeah. About yeah, yeah. two or three years ago. Yeah. So he told Warren about my <laughs> endeavors to... Uh, capitalize on his uh, in, uh, uh, reputation. On his reputation. Yeah, and he said, well, bring your dad to the set tomorrow. And he said, well, David said, well, he's waited 50 years to shake your hand. <laughs> so the next day I went on the set, I met Warren Beatty, and we laughed for a half an hour. I said, remember Mona with the snaggy? <laughs> oh, yeah, how about Rose with the tattoo? And one thing led to another, and it was, it was nice. I've been in that penthouse 
Have you? Yeah. I Pierce was, Brosman moved into that, yeah. too. Yeah. And I was working in Los Angeles, and I was staying at the Beverly Wilshire, and I asked someone about it, and they said, well, there's no one in there right now oh. if you'd like to see it. <laughs> and I went in, and it's in Elvis lived there, I think, for a little while. Uh, and and I went in, and it has a giant fireplace sort of on, along I never one made wall. it up that far. Well, it has a giant <laughs> fireplace on one wall, and I thought, if that fireplace could talk, oh, boy, that would huh? be the best tell-all in Hollywood history, oh, I think. Oh, jeez, I guess so. <laughs> Good memories. Well, you appeared, you, you weren't a garbage man the entire time that you lived no, there. No, thank God. Yeah, and, uh, and so you, you were in lots of television series. I mean, everything from Gunsmoke and Bonanza to Knight Rider and Magnum P.I., Knott's Landing, the A-Team. Uh, but your first gig, or I, I don't know if it was your first gig, but you lied to get a gig on Gunsmoke. Oh, my God, yeah. You, shall I tell you that story? Sure, yeah. I mean, I, I, I've heard similar <laughs> things to this, but tell me about it. Okay. I got a call to go to Gunsmoke, CBS in the Valley studio. Yeah. I went out there, and I didn't know in New York when you made your rounds and all, you wore a suit, a blue suit. Right. So yeah. <laughs> I put on a blue suit <laughs> to go for this longest-running Western on television. And I'm looking around for the crowd of people because there's always a cattle call. If I was called, right. there were no people. And I'm sure I had the right number for the office. And I went in and I said, uh, is this the Gunsmoke office? She says, yes. Are you Mr. Lippy? And I said, yes. She says, well, here's your script. And she handed me a manila envelope. And I said, thank you. What scenes, what mm-hmm. sides do I read? Because I always had to read. Yeah. She says, oh, you don't have to read. The part's yours. Well, all I wanted to do was to get to the phone and call my father yeah. and tell him, I told you, I was yeah. going to be all right, Pop. <laughs> and uh, sh- I start heading out. I just wanted to get to the phone, call my old man who always worried about me. And she says, oh, Mr. Daniels wants to see you. I says, fine, who is that? She says, oh, he's the director. Now, a week before, I had read for a show called Ben Casey with Vince Edwards. Right, a medical show. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was the show where he never knew his line, so... <laughs> He'd have to write it on your body. So I went in to read, and there was an elderly gentleman sitting in the back just taking notes. And I didn't know who he was. It wasn't introduced. But I went in, and there is Mark Daniels, the director, the gentleman that had heard me read. Right. So he said, son, are you at liberty? And I took a pregnant pause. Of course, I was at liberty. <laughs> been at liberty since I got to California. And I said, yes, sir. He said, great. We're glad to have you, son. And I, I thank you. I want to get to the phone. I want to leave. I start walking out. He says, by the way, son, do you ride? I said, yes, sir. Like the wind without breaking stride. <laughs> well, Jewish boys from New York don't necessarily have a big uh, repertoire of riding. Yeah. Only Equestrian t- uh, oh, pursuits not big on your list. No, but I had always, you know, done some research and did what it took. And I said, well, I'll go out and I'll rent a horse and I'll learn how to ride. Well, the monsoons came. I couldn't get a horse. And finally, one day, uh, there was a little bit of a let up. And a guy in an old stable had a horse, was leaning against the wall. He says, okay, senor, you can take the horse out. I got up on the wrong side in front of the restaurant where all the executives from CBS thrown in the mud terrible, terrible feeling, went home, rain never stopped, another week later, a sparkling fall day, I get out to the set, and all I can remember is the line, Kyle vaults on the horse and gallops into the night. Oh my God, I couldn't even get up on a horse. So anyway, I 
I'm sitting there and going over my lines, and I hear noise in this semi-trailer truck. So I said to one of the cowboys, trying to fit in, I said, oh, Wrangler. <laughs> he didn't know who I was. I said, what's that noise? He said, nothing, kid. The horses, they just want to run. <laughs> oh, my God. I thought I was going to have a heart attack. So anyway, a few minutes later, all right, mount him up. And I get up with the help of a couple of cowboys, and the horses know. Yeah. And as soon as I got on his back, off he went. And they were all screaming about, you know, pull him around, turn his head, pull him <laughs> around. Well, I was petrified. I thought I was going to break the horse's mm-hmm. neck. And he just ran in a circle around old Mark Daniels, the director, <laughs> who followed me with his eyes. He says, yeah, like the wind. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. We'll pick up that story on uh, the other side of the break. I'm speaking okay. with Jonathan Goldsmith. Uh, we're talking about gun smoke. We're going to talk about working with John Wayne. And we're going to talk about your new job, which is as the spokesperson for Austral Tequila. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krauss. In studio, we have Jonathan Goldsmith. He's the author of Stay Interesting. I don't always tell stories about my life, but when I do, they're true and amazing. He was the most interesting man in the world on the Dos Equis commercials. His new job is as a spokesman for Austral Tequila. And in fact, I think we've got some uh, of the, the new ads that you're doing. They're hilarious. And <laughs> let's listen to one now. Excuse me, sir. <laughs> You've been given the award for best actor. But the film is not out yet. <laughs> they trust you. Iscos for tequila. The finest tequila. Astral tequila. <laughs> <laughs> Those seem like they're fun to do. Oh, they are. Yeah. It's, it's wonderful stuff to do. We will talk all about Astral tequila, but I've got a few other things that, that I, I really want to get to. So you made a lot of Westerns. Yeah. You played a lot of bad guys in a lot of Westerns. Almost always. And you had uh, a one, The Shootist, very famous film, 1976 <laughs> with John Wayne, uh, and he shot you. And one of the things about people who were shot by John Wayne is that they went on to have careers. Yeah, big careers. Yeah. Yeah. What happened was we it was his Wayne's last picture. Mm-hmm. He played this legend gunslinger and uh, we were two young guys that wanted to take him on, make right. a reputation. Crashed through the window of his boarding house. He immediately shoots us. He dispatches the other guy and merely wounds me and comes to give me a coup de gras. Right. And there was a prop man just off uh, camera line and he would shoot me right in the forehead with a pellet <laughs> that would break, and, and right. it was a blood pellet. Well, one time, two times, five times, six times, I was getting a massive headache. Had a big welt, probably. Yeah. I did. I had seven welts. Yeah. And the director, Don Siegel, famous from Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And, and Dirty Harry. Didn't he make Dirty yes, Harry? Yeah. Yes, he did. Anyway, he came over, looked pathetically at me, laying on the ground with ice in between <laughs> shots. He says, hey, kid, he says, what are they paying you? And I don't remember, but I told him it wasn't very much. The next day, he did double it. Uh, but he said, "Take, uh, be glad to know that everybody that the Duke shot became a star. Right. And 50 years later, he was right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what was it like working with John Wayne? It was his last film, yeah. and he was not well at the time, right? No, he had cancer. Yeah. No, and I, I, I imagine he knew it. Yeah. And, uh, he's an American institution, mm-hmm. you know. He was uh, bigger than life. Did, did it feel like that when you were in his presence? Oh, yeah, and yeah. if it didn't, he would make sure that you felt that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He was very, very... Uh, 
loud and big, big presence, interesting character. You also worked with Clint Eastwood in yeah. Hang 'em High. Yeah. Uh, but you, again, like your Dustin Hoffman story, you didn't really always get along with him, but this is for a different reason. Well, this was a different reason. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, I, uh, we had a mutual friend. And uh, he didn't like that <laughs> on location in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Right. But I liked him. He was he was a very sweet man. He was very concerned about the animals, and he has turned into a, a super talent. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Still directing yeah. movies yeah. in his eighties. Unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm speaking with uh, Jonathan Goldsmith. Uh, soon we will talk about Astral Tequila. That's your new gig Good. as a spokesperson. Uh, but you had a, a one date with Judy Garland, and I've read a little bit about this. And I have to <laughs> ask you about this because it doesn't sound like it was a really happy date. She was telling you yeah. some very, very sort of troubling things. Well, yes, she was. It, I, I really wasn't a date date. Uh, right. A couple of fellows I know were very good friends of hers, and they wanted to give her a little dinner party, and they said, would you like to be her date? I said, are you kidding? And I met this charming, wonderful woman, and we just hit it off. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes that happens, and we talked, and she asked me about my life, and uh, she just started sharing stories about the old studio days and how abusive it was to the child actors and how she was taken advantage of in so many different ways and Mickey Rooney and given pills to go to bed and passed around for various pleasures yeah. and uh, how difficult it was. And we, we howled and then she told all of us a, a really funny story. She was a young starlet and she had a crush on an internationally famous Lothario and uh, she, he finally asked her out. Well, she was so thrilled. She went out and bought a beautiful peignoir, and his chauffeur picked her up and drove her along the shimmering coast to his home in the colony, and she was thrilled and had a wonderful gourmet dinner, and afterwards the help went away, and he swooped her up in his arms and carried her slowly upstairs. And she, she was just so thrilled and so excited and charmed, and she gets into her peignoir and gets in under the covers and just looking out over the moonlit silver of, of the Malibu coastline and she's waiting and she's waiting and waiting. Where is Lothario? And she can't figure it out. And finally there's a little crack in the closet door and she's waited with, with bated breath and he, she looks in and there he is putting shoe trees in his slippers. That was enough. <laughs> Judy Garland got up, and Judy Garland left. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great story. But she was one of the stars that I do remember as being so special, so vulnerable, that one-to-one uh, feeling that there was nobody else. When she was talking to you, she was connected to you, and right. she listened to you. So that was that was really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, is this what I was thinking, you know, in the in the 60s and, and 70s? I mean, it changed a little bit after the Manson murders. It, it sure Los did. Angeles did. I mean, mm-hmm. gun sales shot up a thousand percent the next yeah. day. Everyone got guard dogs, started locking their doors, all that sort of thing. But, you know, if you were traveling in those circles, you could have dinner with Judy Garland. I mean, it, it just sort of happened. It, People yeah. got together. There, You know, the idea of the Hollywood party, which is a cliche, actually uh, did happen. Oh, yes, it did. Mm-hmm. I 
As a matter of fact, I became friendly with Fernando Lamas, who was married to Esther Williams. That's right. And we just got to be great friends. We actually, uh, he's, I channeled him when I had to get the Dos Equis thing. Well, let's talk about that. Uh, okay. because Because this is a great story. So you auditioned for the Dos Equis thing, and we've only got a, a few minutes left in this segment. This will spill over into the next one. Okay. You auditioned for it, and they said, uh, and, and at this point, we're we're removed. What year would this have been? Uh, this would would have been eleven years ago. So yeah, so two thousand six, two thousand seven, uh-huh. something like that. Uh-huh. And and you had had a little downturn in events. Oh, I had quite. I left the business for ten years. Yep. I started. Uh, I got into the business world. Started a network marketing company, which brought me to Canada, yep. where I met wonderful people. This has always been my favorite country. I must tell you, it's a true story. And I'll, if we have time, I'll tell you one of the stories oh, about sure. that. But uh, I was out of Hollywood for 10 years, and my marriage was in trouble. I had retired to the high Sierras, chase, just chasing trout and fishing and getting away from people and disappointments. And my phone rang one day, and there was one lovely lady that agreed to take me in, in Hollywood as, as an agent. You know, out of sight, out of mind, That's has right. a very special... A loneliness in Hollywood and showbiz. Yeah. So she said, Jonathan, they don't know exactly what they're looking for, but they want a Hemingway-esque type of character. You have to do an improvisation, end with the line, and that's how I arm-wrestled Fidel Castro. <laughs> I said, fine, Barbara, I that's perfect. I'll be down tomorrow. Was down on my luck, down on my finances. I slept in the back of my truck in a campground across from the Malibu colony. A listless night, wondering, did I still have it? Did I ever have it? Here I was going on the first audition in 10 years. And I drove through Hollywood, through all the memories and everything coming back. And I was really nervous. Called Barbara. I said, I don't want to. She said, you'll never forgive yourself if you don't. So I, when I got there, I was even more depressed. There's 500 people. They're all younger, much more handsome, Latinos. I said, I'm screwed. I don't have a chance. But I says, well, the hell with it. I'll make them laugh anyway. Right. So I went in, and I, as I sat there right before I went in, I says, I need a Mexican accent. And we're going to leave the story there, and we'll pick it up uh, in the next segment. My guest in studio today, I'm so excited because the <laughs> stories really are fantastic, uh, is the author of Stay Interesting. I don't always tell stories about my life, but when I do, they're true and amazing. His name is Jonathan Goldsmith, a.k.a. the most interesting man in the world. He's now the spokesperson for Astral Tequila. Uh, we'll talk all about that in the next segment. But first, we have to talk about this audition that really changed your life. Stay with us. Astral Tequila. Welcome back, everybody. We left you hanging in the middle of a story on the the last segment. My guest in studio is Jonathan Goldsmith. Uh, He is the author of Stay Interesting. I don't always tell stories about my life, but when I do, they're true and amazing. And so far, the stories have been amazing. Right now, we're talking about the audition to get the gig that changed everything for you. Oh, boy. Did it Uh, ever. It is as the spokesperson for Dos Equis, the most interesting man in the world, that gig has ended since, but right now you're back and, and the new commercials are amazing. Uh, you are the spokesperson for Astral Tequila. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. We've just, we've got a little bit of sound here. This calls for tequila. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're at the audition, you're looking around, you think, I don't know. I don't know if I can do this. Right. And then... 
Yeah, and uh, I finally it was my turn, but I, I knew I needed an accent, so I thought about my friend Fernando, mm-hmm. and I did a rather crummy invitation imitation of his charming Latin accent, but uh, people laughed about it. So I threw that into my repertoire to happen, and finally they called me in, and wow, empty room. There's just a huge studio, and up on the wall is audio equipment, and the director, the agency people, the client, they're all back in New York, and this is tough, you know, and just one technician. Talking to a wall, Yeah, so... I'm sitting there, and I and they're giggling back there wherever they're probably having lunch or something. And I says, well, they'll remember me. I reached down, and I took my sock off and shoe, and I'm sitting there. And the director said, uh, why did you do that? I said, because it made you ask. He's called an icebreaker. <laughs> and so they laughed. They were nice. They laughed. And then he says, well, tell me, tell me about yourself, your background. What did you want to do when you were a kid? And that my line that became kind of I was known for. Well, I was tossing. It was a toss up between a white hunter and OBGYN. More laughter. And then this line of BS started coming out of me. And it went on for 45 minutes. And I could hear them laughing. And then they'd cut the mic. And all I was worried about was my truck was parked outside (laughs) in a danger zone where they take your life, your kid, That's everything, right. and four hundred dollars. So I, I finally, I had to cut it short, and I got out, and I called this lovely agent, who's now my wife, Barbara, who's coming in this it really, afternoon. Everything changed. If, oh my God! Around this audition, yeah. did it? Did it ever? And um, I, uh, I said, this is a waste of time, Barbara. Yours, mine, theirs. Don't do this again. She says, don't be silly. I'm sure you did well. And I forgot about it. Well, we started hearing that they didn't cast it. They went to South America. They went all over the country. Two more times they called me in. The third time I got it. I was the lucky guy. Well, and and it really did change. I mean, it, for one thing, you were everywhere. Yeah. And, and Dos Equis sales, I don't know what the number is. Double-digit growth each year. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was extraordinarily yeah. successful. What did that kind of fame bring with it for you, I mean, you you are so recognizable. I you know. cannot walk down the street without people say, "Stay interesting, that's, my friends." That's yeah. the truth. So yeah. that's why I left California in about the really? third year. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I lost whatever anonymity I had, completely lost it, and we moved to the other side of the country to Vermont, where I now live, and it's nice. You know, everybody yeah. is very nice and leave me alone, and <laughs> traffic is a slow moving tractor. That's right. And I, I just love it. But it's wonderful. You know, one door shuts and ten opened. And I was so fortunate. You know, people mention the, the campaign and me and all that. There would be no me and no success without the brilliant people that were behind this creatively. You know, I got the accolades. I was the face of the campaign. Yeah. But they were the genius behind it. So it was a team effort. And I will always be grateful to them. And you're working with Astral Tequila now. That's this correct. is a new brand of tequila um, that is uh, it's on shelves now, founded by uh, Master Sommelier Richard Betts. Mm-hmm. It's a unique spirit reminiscent of the way tequila was made 150 years ago before it was industrialized. Right. So you are the face of this now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're the face of this now. Uh, how did that all come about? Well, after they sent me off to Mars and the scientist died, the yes. blonde, that beautiful, you know, she, exhaustion took her away from me. I was bored. I was up there in the stars and I 
found this incredible tequila. So anyway, they approached me and we met and I fell in love with tequila and with the company and with the concept. It is made the old fashioned way, but we also practice reforestation. We take out these beautiful agave plants, take out one, put back two. Right. We use every single part of the plant. We give a percentage of two charities of our profits uh, with the leftover waste products. We use every part, which is mm -hmm. called the bagazo, which makes it so special, gives it that earthy uh, taste, smoky taste. But with the, when anything left over, we make adobe bricks out of. Wow. And in Oaxaca, yeah. where the mezcal comes from, we're building a library, the town is. So it's very nice. We're stewards of the earth. We're responsible. We give back, and it tastes. I was going to say, good. is it delicious? Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a it's a double gold winner, and I didn't right. know I didn't even know what that meant. Yeah. And that means fifty judges out of fifty in an international test blind have to pick it as number one, and they did for us Astral Tequila and Sombra Mezcal. So I'm I'm very proud of the product, and it's a pleasure to drink. Well, and we're going to have some uh, oh, tomorrow. I think you and I will we'll, right. we'll be having a little bit of this. I'm, I'm uh, really uh, curious to try it. Fernando Lamas was a great friend of yours. Yes. And, you know, if you don't know his film work, uh, you do know probably Billy Crystal's yeah. impersonation, which was funny. kind of <laughs> funny and loosely based, if not entirely based on Fernando Lamas, uh, maybe a little exaggerated. But he was quite something, and you were very tight. Oh, we were really tight. He yeah. was married, as you probably know, to Esther Williams. Yeah. And I had some of the best times of my life as I look back. In fact, I couldn't understand it. He was this huge star, and I was just an actor. Yeah. And, but he liked me. And every day I would have to have lunch at his house. We formed a <laughs> production company. And I said, Esther, I says, why does he like me so much? She said, "He makes you make him laugh. Right. And uh, so anyway... I became very friendly with her. She, for one of my birthdays, she had Rock Hudson, Anthony Newley, uh, Dane Clark, who I was crazy about. Yeah. You know, played all the gangsters. Yeah, yeah. Barbara Rush and some other people. But I had such a good time. I had nothing. I had no status in the industry. But they were good friends and really took me under their wing. I had great times. I'm speaking with Jonathan Goldsmith right now. He is the uh, spokesperson for Astral Tequila, and uh, you'll be able to see the ads. Look them up on YouTube because you've made, I think, ten of them now. Yeah, uh, there's ten of them, and they're very funny. They are a little reminiscent oh, yeah. of things that we've seen you do before, which is yeah. great. There's a little callback, I guess. You know, well, why not? Yeah, why not? Um, when when the Dosekis gig came to a close. Were you upset? Were, did you think, it's acting, life goes on, yeah. I will find something else? Or were you ready just to roll around in that big pile of money? No, it wasn't a big pile of yeah. money, but it was a mixed bag. I had had nine years of meeting and, and working with and, and creating stuff that made the world smile. Yeah. It was a wonderful feeling, that association with such talented wonderful people. And I truly felt badly. I had no idea what the future would hold. But all good things come to an end. And I knew that I was very, very fortunate. Mm -hmm. So it was okay. You said uh, in one interview that I read with you that you had always wanted to do comedy, but everyone cast you in westerns and other things yeah. as the bad guy. Always. Uh, and the Dos Equis commercials gave you the chance to be funny. Yeah. yeah. That's absolutely true. Yeah. I wonder yeah. what, I mean, the audition 
as you described, sounds very funny in the in the whole thing. It's interesting that just through a different set of eyes, another casting director looked at you, you know, 180 degrees away from the way others had. Yeah. And changed everything. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I love the quote, it only took 50 years, but I'm an overnight success. <laughs> it did take that long. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you talk about coming to Canada. You said you wanted to tell a story about Canada. Oh, yeah. I, I, one of the reasons I fell in love with Canada, I was in Vancouver with some of my distributors in the company that I started. Yep. And a beautiful town, flowers everywhere, and clean and quiet. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I don't hear any horns honking. And my distributor turned to me and says, why would we do that to somebody? <laughs> I never forgot it. It was 30 years ago. Yep. So there's a civility here that is a pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Things have uh, things have changed a little bit uh, yeah. in, in in your country. I, I think oh. there's a coarseness that, that seems to have woven its way into the fabric of, of everyday life. If you'd like me to apologize to everybody in Canada, I would like to. <laughs> my apologies, my friends. Well, I don't think there's any need for you to apologize, but um, we just have about a minute left. There's sure. a story about the law and Harry McGraw <laughs> that I kind of love. And if we if we have time, I'd love for you to tell I'll it. make it. The scene was I was playing a flashy Broadway character, running women and dope and everything else. But I had a lot of girlfriends, and then I died. And we're out at this uh, a funeral home, and the, the scene is there would be vignettes of these chorus girls coming up one by one saying, oh, Flash, we miss you. Oh, Flash, remember when? Flashbacks. My name was Flash, of course. And, uh, okay, get them in. Get them in what? Get them in the coffin. Well, all the coffins were full. So they pulled an old dead woman out of a coffin, and they put me in the damn thing and lowered the hood on, the the (laughs) cover on me. It was horrible. To this moment, I can still smell the inside of that coffin. Yeah. It's not all glamour. No, it isn't. <laughs> well, Jonathan, what a pleasure to have you in here. Thank, thank you thank so much you, for coming you. in. My guest in studio today has been Jonathan Goldsmith, the most interesting man in the world now, a spokesman for Austral Tequila. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Oh, my pleasure. I we'll mean, talk uh, again it soon. was very enjoyable. Thank you. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to Nick on the board, and we'll speak to you all next week. Excuse me, sir. You've been given the award for best actor. But the film is not out yet. They trust you. Iskos for tequila. The finest tequila. Astral tequila.